Our scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, Colossians chapter 1. We want to just commence at the verse 9 of the chapter and read through to the last verse. Colossians chapter 1, reading from the the verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, is strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us made to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, which hath been hid for from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, 
warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Wherefore, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. We end our reading at the last verse of this chapter, knowing that God will add to the public reading of his word his own divine seal of approval and blessing. Could I invite you please to turn again to the first chapter of Colossians, and Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. My text this Lord's Day is the verse 28 of this first chapter whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And my subject is very simple. It is perfect in Christ Jesus. And let's just take a moment as we unite our hearts together as we pray. Father, we acknowledge today that thy word is truth. And we pray for grace that we might be in harmony with the mind of thy gracious Holy Spirit and thy Holy Spirit would be in harmony with us. Our Father, we pray that the Spirit might teach us, instruct us and guide us in the elevating of thy divine word. Hide this human instrument behind the cross. This is thy word. We pray that it may come from thyself for our Saviour's sake. Amen. From every natural angle of life, all who have been called to the knowledge of God's great salvation is the subject of judgmental condemnation. The devil, with a myriad of his ancient agents at his command, continues to conduct an orchestrate of voices that master the penetrating sound of the condemner. With the focus of his attention being very much centered upon those who are being especially and visibly blessed of the Lord. You can remember how that Saul, the first king of Israel, was turned into a psychological maniac when he saw that God had blessed the a youthful David. And added to this condemnatory court, we have the Council of the World, whose judges open the book entitled Hate to pronounce their findings on the righteous people of God. With eyes blinded by sinful prejudices and minds blurred by satanic perversion, the world cannot conceal its contempt for the man or for the woman that has been separated unto the gospel of saving grace. The Lord Jesus Christ taught this to his disciples when he said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and therefore uh, the world hateth you. But another voice of condemnation is heard. It is the inner vocabulary of the flesh which struggles to accept that the Holy Spirit has taken up residency within a person's earthly tabernacle. 
with considerable ease, the flesh governs over the body's feelings, the body's sensitivities, and the body's fears. And that to such a degree, the Apostle Paul exclaimed, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He was all too aware that anyone, or indeed a combination of the self-appointed magistrates, that is, the world, the flesh, and the devil, had the potential to imprison the mind with a multitude of condemnatory thoughts, thoughts that had contributed to the Colossians' alienation from God during their unconverted days. And you, said Paul, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So it's not surprising that the enemy will refocus his attention upon the very area of an individual's life that served him in the past. That is, he focuses upon the mind of the individual. Paul said this when writing to the church at Rome. He said that he saw another member warring against the law of his mind. Well, do we read in the book of Proverbs, as he thinketh in his heart, referring to mankind, as so is he. That is a most solemn truth, powerfully highlighted by our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 15 and verse 19. For out of the heart, he said, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. In light of which, only the initiative of the eternal Godhead could execute sinful man's redemption through the blood of the Lamb, even the forgiveness of sins. Only being saved through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ can a life be miraculously and wonderfully transformed. It is an act of divine mercy that opens up a treasure chest of spiritual blessing, one of which is perfection in Christ Jesus. Uh, This is what Paul said to the church at Colossae, that we may present every man uh, perfect in Christ Jesus. Uh, This revelation brings us to appreciate the silence of the accuser. When a dear man or a dear woman, boy or girl, is brought by the Holy Spirit into union with the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, an immediate transaction is wonderfully fulfilled. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That is, the very transgressions that the devil is dependent upon, along with the world and the flesh, to formulate the charges and to oppose the conscience of all who are saved. It therefore follows that as soon as the main reason for his accusations is removed, he is utterly helpless 
in interfering with the salvation of the blood-purchased soul. He can never undo the applied work of redemption to the repentant sinner. How it must vex the devil to hear the Lord Jesus Christ proclaim in his high priestly prayer to the Father in heaven, All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And then to hear him say, Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, must add fuel to his fiery indignation. For this eternal interlocking of all who are found in Christ with the unchangeable word of God means that all such are represented in him. And that is the fundamental reason that Paul desired to present the believers at Colossae perfect in Christ Jesus. Uh, Not perfect in and of themselves, but perfect in the sinless Lamb of God. Now this means that the trilogy of adversaries, in order to wage a successful campaign against all who have become part of the Bride of Christ, they must find some blemish in their heavenly bridegroom. And in this, their search is in vain, as proclaimed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For the prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me. Sadly, certain apostate clergy in the past have tried to give substance to the false claims that have been drawn from a dictionary penned by the hand of satanic writers. In it one claimed that the Lord Jesus Christ was the illegitimate son of Mary and a Roman soldier. Other perverted definitions of the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ have circulated all in an attempt to persuade a cynically-minded world that the Messiah was just a mere man. But, but, by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Then we read, and he is the head of the body, the church. This means that every doctrine, every principle, Every practice and every proclamation must be centered upon him so that in all things he might have the preeminence. An outworking of which is in the preeminence 
to silence the voice of the accuser on behalf of all whom have been called to himself. A truth that is underlined in that oft-quoted benediction by the Apostle Jude. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Saviour be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. The thought of being kept from falling and the thought of being presented faultless instantly overrides the voice of the accuser. He simply cannot contend with such a declaration. He cannot compare to him that is able to exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. The very power that comes through the word of God condemning the voice of the accuser to silence. In Paul's letter to Philemon, there is that wonderful story of a man called Onesimus who is often described as the runaway thief. Clearly he had done something on Philemon that was unworthy and an act that was very much uh, discreditable uh, to Onesimus. But he came to know the Lord and Paul is writing to Philemon and seeking to encourage Philemon to receive him back into his household. Then he writes these lovely words. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. Don't hold it against him. And have we not heard our Lord Jesus Christ say to God the Father, that man, that woman, if they have wronged thee, if they oweth thee aught, put that in mine account. The debt has been settled. And from the silence of the accuser, we have the sanctifying of the affirmed. Remarkable as it may sound, Every believer in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ is given the sanctifying grace to affirm their innocence. To affirm their innocence. Not because of any achievement or accomplishment on our part, but solely on the merits of him who paid the ransom price for those whom he loved before the foundation of the world. Christ hath redeemed us, said the inspired apostle, from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. For through his sacrificial death, he is removed from the courtroom, the prosecution's case of condemnation is stating to everyone who is born again of God the Holy Spirit, there is therefore now no condemnation 
to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And yet, within the context of our text, there is incorporated a warning. Whom we preach, warning every man. On the surface, this seems incompatible with presenting every man perfect in Christ. Therefore, it does pose the question, does a man or a woman who's standing as perfect in Christ need to take heed of warnings? The answer is a very clear and unequivocal yes. There is a continual necessity to be submissive to the sanctifying standards of the Scriptures, standards that warn every Christian not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Such warning is a daily reminder of the need for all of us who are saved to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And within the composition of walking with God, the servant is given an insight or a warning for preparatory actions. That, in fact, is the real meaning of the word here, warning every man. It's the same word that is used as illustrated in the life of Noah, where we read it being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. We read of the wise men being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. Uh, Even Mary and Joseph as well as Cornelius, are examples of how the Lord was warning his people concerning certain future events. As Paul did to the elders of the church at Ephesus, they needed to be warned that after his departing, grievous wolves would enter the flock and would start destroying and damaging the flock. The church needs to be warned. Today, as it was in the day of the apostle, there is no greater privilege than that a creature of time sanctified by the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ to be trusted with a post-dated knowledge in order to reveal the mind of God. Many of us were very privileged to have heard what we might now call the post-dated messages from God's Word by Dr. Paisley many years ago. How we need to hear that message again. A message that's warning people. A message that sees the danger, that beholds the problem. And turns the people to the authority of God's word. Of the children of Issachar. It is recorded that they were men that had understanding of the times. To know what Israel ought to do. 
And in addressing his servant Abraham, God said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? And it is this form of communication that sets apart the people of God from the unenlightened. But with it comes a responsibility. The need to articulate the mind of God, particularly in a naval-orientated generation, has never been more relevant. With these, the professing church amalgamates into the ways, into the methods, into the desires of the world. And in so doing, it loses its spiritual influence. It's like Lot. Lot delivered the Lord's message to his family, exhorting them to leave the city of Sodom. But he was as one that mocketh. He'd lost his influence with those to whom he was addressing the message. I pray earnestly that as God's people, as God's church, we might never forfeit our spiritual influence. Do people listen to what we say? Are people concerned about what we relate from God's word. To be a faithful preacher of the gospel means that we must bring people before an eternity that is real. The message of heaven, the message of hell is embedded within the future fabric of the human race. And yet, sadly, today, the very thought of hell is so foreign to many people. Equally, it is foreign to many pulpits. But a message that becomes more and more evidential when the onlooking world takes knowledge that the messengers have been in the presence of God will give those of us who are saved the grace to affirm our innocency in Christ. The sanctifying of the affirmed. But finally and briefly, we have the satisfaction of the advocate. Whenever a dear man, woman, boy or girl is presented perfect in Christ, it brings great satisfaction to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of this we read, he shall see of the travail of the soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The only possible outcome of the Savior bearing away my iniquity and your iniquity is my perfection in Christ. It makes sense, doesn't it? If he bears away my iniquities, then I must 
in his eyes be perfect before him. A truth reinforced by the words in Revelation 14, where we read, For they are without fault before the throne of God. This is because God the Father sees the sinner saved by grace as one with God the Son. Listen. He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. From which we deduce that there is nothing more satisfying to the Godhead than the communicative attribute of love. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. There are certain things in the Bible of which we are told it is impossible for God to do. It is impossible for God to lie, writes the apostle to the Hebrews. But could I just also say to you, it is impossible for God to stop loving his people. He loved you before you were born. He loved you when you were born. He loved you when you were saved. And he still loves you today. It's impossible for him to stop loving you. And in this foundation, the apostle led forth the claims of the gospel, warning every man and teaching every man and all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. This is not sinless perfection on the part of the Christian. This is the Savior's perfection on the part of the sinner saved by grace. It's not about my perfection. It's about his perfection. It's about what he has done, what he has achieved. For he has told us through his word, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out all fear. The believer in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ can testify in these beautiful words. Loved with everlasting love. Led by grace that love to know. Spirit breathing from above. Thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace. Oh, this transport all divine in a love that cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. Things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest. Closed in everlasting arms, pillowed on the loving breast, Oh, to lie forever there, doubt and care and self-resign. 
while he whispers in my ear, I am his and he is mine. Dear child of God, perfect in Christ in the past, perfect in Christ in the present, perfect in Christ in the future, because I am his and he is mine. I close with just this little antidote. Many years ago, and it is many years ago now, I was an apprentice for a few years in Short Brothers and Harlands. I, I worked with a dear man from Dremore. He was a brethren man. I was his apprentice for a time. He was a brethren man, a man who taught me many things, and I appreciated as a young Christian the lessons that he taught. One thing he taught me, which I felt was very helpful, and it was in the form of a prayer. He said, David, always ask the Lord to give you a hatred for sin and a love for holiness. And that ties in perfectly with the thought of our perfection in Christ. Would you want to do anything to dishonor him? Would you want to do anything to soil his lovely name? I trust that God will give us the grace to live for him, to serve him, and to ever be at his feet. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Let's unite our hearts together, please, as we pray. Father, we thank thee for the liberating power of thy word. We fear that multitudes of men and women are struggling to try and gain perfection. They raise the standard and raise the bar day by day, seeking to achieve the unachievable. But Lord, thou hast been very merciful to us, and thou hast shown to us that we are complete in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for grace to outlive that great truth in our homes, in our places of study, in our places of employment, in our neighborhood. We pray, our Father, that thou would help me to live it out. Accept our thanks for thy presence in our Saviour's name.
Amen.